A hearty good, good morning to all of you. May the Lord bless you richly as you come, as we come together to seek Him and His presence, to get to know Him more. It's good to see all of you. The Lord is good, the Lord is faithful. Um, to add a little bit to what Brother John said, I appreciate um, the race, the um, thing he had, um, examples. I was thinking of uh, the Olympic racers and everything that they put in, and everybody wants that crown, they want that trophy, they want uh, a title, but how many are willing to put in the work? And the goes, same goes for Christianity. Um, we desire to be a great man of God. We desire to be this great orator, um, to be able to explain things the way some people do. And then you start digging into their lives and you find out the investment that they have in this subject or in the Lord for years and years and years of studying. And um, some people have a natural gift, but it's, it's obviously not me. But <laughs> some people have it and there's a greater accountability for it. Um, the subject today is not an easy one. It's been on my heart for a few months and I've been pushing it off because I wasn't ready. I'm not ready today either, but um, praise God, we do things even if we're not ready for them. We do the hard things now. It's never gonna be easy, brethren. It's never gonna be easy. Christian life is hard. We're against, we're, we're an attack from the enemy. We're attacked from our own selves, our lust of the flesh. It's never easy to press towards the goal. And last week, Brother Richard shared, consider him, consider Christ and what he endured as we look towards um, our Christian life and to press deeper, consider what the Lord did for us. The subject is going to be the importance of accountability. The importance of accountability. And I will say right now that I need these messages more than anybody else here. It's gonna be a hard subject. It's gonna have a lot of reflection on your lives. And I pray that the Lord would intervene in all of our lives to recognize that importance that we have to be accountable to one another in our churches, wherever they might be. Let's have a short prayer. Father, we just invite you into our presence again, and we pray that you clear the airwaves in our hearts and our minds and around us, that we could look to that word in all seriousness and consider what you have to say. Lord, we are all the more accountable especially in our church today in Altona, where we hear so much. And there's so much, there's also a disadvantage in this. We know that our hearts are sometimes turned to flint because we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. Lord, have mercy upon us. Soften our hearts to thy word. Make it sharp that it will cut asunder. Father, that it would, our hearts will bleed. Father, that we could go home and make changes in our lives. I'd say, oh, he had a good message again. That's just what I needed to hear. But Lord, help us to be doers of your word and to change in these things which we know we are to change. And that we need help, Lord, to have the grace to come to a brother or sister for help. 
This we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open up today in uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I'm actually only singling in to one verse, but I will read a couple of verses from uh, James 13 to 20. We'll start with James 5. Verse 13, James 5, verse 13. And I would urge you speakers, when you're up here and you give a, a, a Bible verse, repeat it three times. I'm up here, I hear it, and I, it doesn't register to me. I need to hear it again. Oh, it's James. James where? James 5. Which verse? James 13, 513. <clears throat> Okay, so we're all there. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Again it says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. The brother, the brother, the brother who is sick called for the elders. It was an asking. It was and entreating to somebody else. Let him call for the elders. This is my point here. Let him call for the elders. Let him ask for help. You have to come for help. And let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And he that committed sins, they shall be forgiven him, because he has confessed them. And in verse 16, it is the verse I want to get to. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Again, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Brethren, who is without fault here this morning? All of us are at fault. In one way or another, we fail. We're humans. Confess our faults. I don't do it enough. It's so uplifting. It's such an unloading experience to confess our issues to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was flesh and blood. He was one of us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. He was a mere man, but he had faith. He was a man of God. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Again, speaking of somebody coming in and interceding in someone else's life. And how are we, how are we to do that if that person doesn't open up? If that person doesn't ask for help? And he cannot help someone that loves his sin. He loves to go his way. He doesn't want anybody to intervene and poke their finger into their life. There is no help for such a one. You have to ask for help. And if you help, there is help available if you want help. I want, I'm going to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer today a lot because he had something to say on the subject. 
something very powerful to say. How many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who he is? Now, a disclaimer before I begin with him. I have certain misgivings about him. We all know he died in the hands of the Gestapo. It's just that the two weeks before um, the Americans came in and liberated the camp where he was imprisoned, the Gestapo killed him, they hanged him. Well, why? Why was he a wanted man? And I think they had reason for him to want him, and that's my problem with him. He shouldn't have been wanted in a way that he was wanted for. He compromised. I believe he compromised. And I don't think he did it initially. I think he had some good hearts in the beginning. He was a Lutheran pastor. Again, he died in the hand of the Nazis in 1945. Bonhoeffer was accused of plotting against Hitler and his hand in an attempted assassination. Of this attempt and his role in anti-Nazi dis dissident is argued by many Christians. But we do know that he served as a courier for the German resistance movement to reveal its existence and intentions to the Western Allies in hope of gardening their support and through his vast contacts abroad, Bonhoeffer, that Bonhoeffer had, to secure possible peace terms with the Allies were post-Hitler government. Yes, he had good intentions in the beginning, and since it was in a time of war, he was dragged ever deeper in his involvement, and that he couldn't very easily entangle himself out of because he knew so much. But I will leave it here. I will let God be the judge of Mr. Bonhoeffer. I don't know how he died. I don't know how, what he repented of. We will not accuse him, but I will, I will quote him today because it is powerful and in, in the importance of accountability. He understood the body of Christ in a way that not many people did. He had an understanding of brotherly accountability that most Christians know very little of, and I'm talking even Anabaptist people that have close accountability, <coughs> or they think they have. For him, the subject was reality. So I will quote here. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. And this is one of the most important things that I will say about over here this morning is this quote. Sin demands to have a man by himself. Sin demands to have a man by himself in bondage to himself with nobody else around. We can understand that consistency in all of our experience. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community, and community as in the body of Christ around that person. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. He goes ever deeper into his little cage, into his little hole. He doesn't want anybody to find out. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the inexpressed, it poisons the whole being of the person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community, like here. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. But God breaks the gates of brass and bars of iron. 
Psalm 107, 16. Since the con confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders. He gives up his evil. He gives his heart to God, and he finds the forgiveness of all his sins in the fellowship of Jesus Christ and his brother. The expressed, acknowledged sin has lost all its power. It has been revealed and judged as sin. It can no longer tear the fellowship asunder. Now the fellowship bears the sin of the brother. He is no longer alone with the evil, for he has caught, cast his sin in confession and handed it over to God. It has been taken away from him. Now he stands in a fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now we can be a sinner and still enjoy the grace of God. He can confess his sins and this very act find fellowship for the first time. The sin concealed separated him from the fellowship, made all his apparent fellowship a shame. The sin confessed has helped him to find true fellowship with the brethren in Jesus Christ. Moreover, what we have said applies solely to confession between two Christians. A lot of us might think that confession has to do with going to the preacher. It does not. A confession of sin, this is again Bonhoeffer speaking, a confession of sin in the presence of all the members of the congregation is not required to restore one to fellowship with the whole congregation. Unless, I will put this in here, to me I strongly believe, unless he has sinned against the whole church. Then he needs to apologize to the whole church. If he has defrauded the whole church. But if it's some sin, some, some uh, addiction that he has, and he, and he doesn't want to come to the church, he wants to go to a brother. And I, I, I strongly agree with him here. A confession of a sin in the presence of all the members of the congregation is not required to restore one to fellowship with the whole congregation. I meet the whole congregation in one brother to whom I confess my sins and who forgives my sins. In the, in the fellowship I find with this one brother, I have already found fellowship with the whole congregation. In this matter, no one acts in his own name, nor by his own authority, but by the commission of Jesus Christ. This commission is given to the whole congregation, and an individual is called merely to exercise it for the congregation. If a Christian is in a fellowship of, con of confession with a brother, he will never be alone anywhere. I hope you don't get this wrong. We're confessing to another brother. This brother is part of the congregation. He is one. And if he goes to that brother and, that, and he confesses it and the sin is forgiven, this brother represents the whole fellowship, the whole congregation. Again, this is in matters that it doesn't involve any sin to the congregation. It gives him power. It empowers him. It, it lightens the load. It, he is no longer alone in this world. It really spoke volumes to me. He goes on to say in another writing, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he has cost me. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died face of a forgiven sinner. He again says in a different writing, in confession occurs the breakthrough of the cross. The root of all sin is pride. 
I want to be my own law. I have a right to myself, my hatred and my desires, my life and my death. The mind and flesh of man are set on fire by pride, for it, for it is precisely in his wickedness that a man wants to be as God. Confession in the presence of a brother is profound is the profoundest kind of humility. It hurts, it cuts a man down, it is a dreadful blow to pride. In the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation before a brother, which means before God, we experience the cross of Jesus, Jesus as our rescue and salvation. The old man dies, but it is God who, who has conquered him. Now we share in the resurrection of Christ and eternal life. Now, he makes some strong claims here. And I don't know what you believe in it or how that sounds to you when he says here, confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. Because this brother now knows. We know God knows. We have no trouble um, confessing to God. And all of us do daily. If you're a Christian. But what about confessing to a brother? The sin that so troubles you over and over again. I can relate to this. It is a, a profound humiliation. But it is freedom. It is a dreadful blow to pride. Okay, that's the end of the quote from Dietrich. Brethren, this type of confession, this type of confessing to each other is one of the biggest reasons we ought to or that we live in a close-knit brotherhood or church but we don't do a lot of it. And I'll get into that a little bit deeper, how some of the brothers are. Yes, we live it for the fellowship. Yes, the camaraderie and physical and emotional support, especially for the weak, widowed, and elderly. Perhaps one of the biggest strengths is to live an overcoming life with the help of our brothers and sisters. Of this, I want to speak of. To live a life free from sin, and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Bear with me as I make a few points, and they're going to be strong ones, to help bring across my argument for accountability. Bear with me here. And I'm going to speak very openly. And ich bin nicht ausgenommen von these things. I'll tell you right now. That's why I know about them. Because... I'm as guilty as anybody else is. All of us have access to internet. I'm speaking to adults here, young adults, hopefully not the children. Point two, all of us as men have similar desires and temptations. All of us are a click away. We are a click away or a push button away from either fulfilling inordinate sinful curiosities or fulfilling the desires of our flesh. We're only a click away from this temptation. Never has there been such opportunities in the last 6,000 years that we have to fulfill it in secret that nobody knows behind closed doors to invite a harlot into our bedroom 
with nobody knowing and fulfilling our sinful desires. We're up against a lot, brethren. We're up against a lot of pressure. I'm not poking at any one of you. It is hard. It is hard. If there's any time that we need more accountability this year in this 21st century, in 2021, there's so much struggle that I see among the young people, among the men in my own life. There's so much struggle. There's so much temptations. And I'm not saying all of you are involved with this stuff by any means. I'm not saying that. God forbid. But a lot of us are. Because all of us as men have similar desires and temptations, but not all of us would let our affections run after it. We're disciplined. We don't allow it. We know where it's going to lead. We don't do it. Point four, all of us have clicked in one way or another the thing we shouldn't have clicked at. We have, be honest, some worse than others. All of us, if we are honest before God, are guilty or have been guilty of internet impurity in some form or another. Some have fulfilled sexual fantasies. Some have fulfilled material covetousness or other works of the flesh with the internet, with clicking at certain things. Point six, all of us have been guilty of either watching meaningless and or sinful pictures or videos, following sports, playing games for hours, browsing aimlessly for hours, or committing other forms of time-wasting activities on our phones. Yeah, or tablets, or whatever you have, you know what I mean. While most of the time spent on media will not be direct sin, they lead to curiosities and, I will say a word here, desensitization. Remember this word, desensitization. All these things, these curiosities, these clicking, these time spent on media are desensitizations of our minds which leads to bigger and more sin. In addition, it warps our ideology and character traits to non-biblical standards. And I will give you a few more points here. Media gives us, or our children and young adults, a warped perception of how life should be. Media, what character traits or lack of when they look for friendship in a man or woman or eventual spouses. Media participates in war perceptions that lead to character, that lead to our children or young adults looking for character traits in, in the friends that they have or in the spouses that they seek. They look at physical appearance is what's most important in themselves and others. Children, teens, and young adults struggle with how they look and are insecure based on what the media portrays them to be. Media desensitization regulates what sin is. It desensitizes us to what really sin is. Oh, it's no big deal. 
they're sinning, they're, 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 they're kissing each other, they're not married, but big deal, that's, that's the way things are in these days. And we desensitize ourselves to, and in reality, in reality world, we, we, we find ourselves that we're, we're not sensitive to these things anymore because we've been desensitized. Lastly, it robs of our joy in the Lord. It separates us of Christian fellowship and maybe worst of all, lost opportunities that we had. It's now in the past, we've lost it. It's gone, permanently gone. All sin starts at the heart level. It starts small. If left unchecked, it gets bigger and bigger. Once you fall into that trap with your media device, the easier it is to fall back into it next time. Next time it's worse. The only way to effectively get victory is to seek help and be accountable to your brother or sister. And I want to say again in point seven here, fortunately most of us don't have a big problem with the internet. It's just at the odd times when we do. Most of us don't have a big problem. It's just at the odd times when we do. What do we do when we do? What if these do's become more frequent? We need to acknowledge and admit that all of us have stunted our spiritual growth and relationships with the people around us because of our involvement in the above mentioned sins. The question is, and I'm getting to now, what steps do we take to ensure we will not be entangled again in the same bondage we were in before? All of us have the capacity to fall away to a state where we were never in before. Some of us might be in bondage right now and nobody knows except us, except God, of course. Some of you might be in bondage right now and nobody knows. My argument is we need accountability. It's not an option. We need internet accountability. Additionally, we need accountability in how it's going in our spiritual life. Spiritual life is first, then, then. But some of us are in a trap. We need help to get out of that in the beginning. We, we need help with everything. We need help with, with our spiritual lives, and we need help with uh, the fruits of that lack of spiritual life, which is um, addictions. We need help. How do we practically work that out? Here's a list I made that will help us to do at least something in, in, our, in our pursuit of an overcoming life. It's not exhaustive. You might have a lot more things to add to this list. Number one is seek Christ with a fervent and disciplined heart. Get up in the morning before anybody else does. Spend time with Christ in quiet time. Get up early to seek him. I don't know about you, but if I don't get it in the morning, I don't get it at all. Because I have a family and it's, I'm pooped out by the time it's time to go to bed. Seek Christ with a fervent and disciplined heart. It's not going to become easy. We cannot become the greatest in the kingdom of God with it being easy. It's going to be hard. Number two is accountability meetings. Fortunately, this is 
well underway to a lot of brothers here, and you've reaped the benefits tremendously, but needs more consistency and more attendance. And I'm at fault here. I'm part of a group, and we've procrastinated for one reason or another. But we're going to get back in the program here this week. Accountability meetings. Number three, internet software. If you need help in this subject, seek help. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come automatically. You're finding yourself in a roller coaster. You're falling to impurity on the internet. You repent. Oh, I'm going to do better now because it hit me so hard. I, I got into some bad stuff. Uh, two days, you do pretty good. And then you, you start desensitizing again by watching this and this, and you become desensitized, and pretty soon, boop, you're back to where you, you thought you'd never be again. And it's worse a little bit this time around. You need help, brother. You need help. And it's not between you and Jesus anymore. You need a brother in your life. Amen. Once you involve a brother, you will start getting help. And this brother is going to ask you how it's going. And knowing that he's going to ask you is going to prevent you from falling so easily. <clears throat> Have a brother install covenant eyes. And, and we're going to get here in the coming weeks with the young people. We're going to get into this. Number four, put tools in place to monitor the time that you spent on your, on your devices and limits when they go over data limits. Richard has made an attempt with that with YouTube lately, and some have received it with, with uh, hey, that's good, I needed it, and some have received it, I hate it, what's it doing anyway, it is bondage, I want my YouTube. I think it's a blessing. We found out that one gig went like this. And now when it's over, it's done. It's done for the day. And I think it was a good tool. And we need more of these tools to limit knowing where it takes us. And some of you are listening to good stuff. I'm not knocking it. You're listening to messages. Praise God. But we're, we're doing some things to open it up like podcasts and, and something other than YouTube where you can watch these sermons or listen to uh, sound music and things like that. So put tools in place to monitor the time spent and limits when we go over data limits. Uh, next point is guard, guarding our older children and monitoring their media. That's a big one. Simply put, if they are in our house, we are responsible for them. If they are in our house, we are responsible for them. Do not abandon your children to media. Pay attention. Walk in their rooms and spend time with them personally. Ask them questions. Maybe look at their device. Scan through it. Again, they're in your house. You have the right, Dad, to do as you please in your house. You have the right. Dad's man up. Look in your house. Look in your children's corners. They will appreciate it when they're older. I guarantee you that.
Point six, perhaps a lot of media addictions might have been avoided if we refrain from giving our children media or media devices at such a young age and leaving them to themselves for many hours with these devices. They don't have the discipline or character maturity to handle it. It is the parents' responsibility to make sure our children and young people have a proper maturity level before they are given the responsibility of a media device to themselves. And some of you might not agree with this point, but I will say it. I personally argue that young people don't need a smartphone, period, until they are 18. That's what I said to Hosea, and I'm sticking to it. And that, they are, that used to be our Altona Church standard. Why 18, Jacob? Why 18? While some parents are willing and able to lock down their phones properly and effectively at an earlier age than 18, other parents see it and give their grossly immature 12 to 17-year-old phones or tablet with few to nothing in accountability or locks because they see other dads do it too. And if they have a phone at 18 to 20 or 120 years old, we all need to be accountable to a brother or sister with that device. Speaking to myself too, and I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it. Is it fair to say, as adult men and women, we re if we resist accountability, it is because we still love our sin. If we resist accountability, it is because we are making fleshly preservation for our things that we love, that are inordinate affections that we're not, not quite ready to give up with. Well, let's just say it as it is. We love our sin. It's sad. I hate to put it like this. Francis Chain had a powerful message on that. We love our sin. There's no easy way to say it like that. Don't touch my me time. That is the root issue. We love our warm, mediocre spiritual state. I know it is a strong language, brethren, I'm sorry, but isn't this the truth so many times? This is what it comes down to. Oh Lord, do a work in our lives here today that we might not love our mediocre life anymore. This is exactly what Brother Richard shared last week. That we need to consider Christ and his sufferings as we contemplate our desire for media and self-gratification. How would Christ look at it? How, what, what, what heart did Christ have here on earth? He turned his heart like flint to the work of Christ. To the church at Laodicea, I will convert this to, to the Church of America in the 21st century. I believe Paul or John would have wrote this in the exact same language. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, did I hear anywhere in these verses that Jesus was going to accept us anyway? 
No, it doesn't say that. It says I will spew thee out of my mouth. What does that mean? Usually when we spew something out of our mouth, we don't want to put it back in again. No, we're done with it. It's flushed down the carburetor. We're done with it. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I'm not saying, standing up here, saying that we cannot find forgiveness with confession to the Lord alone. I will never say that. Forgiveness for personal sin is in Jesus Christ alone. There is no mediator between God and man in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the forgiver of sins, period. Unless you sin against a brother, then the forgiveness hinges on your apology and asking for forgiveness to that brother first. That is the way God taught us in Scripture. I'm here to argue that we will not find lasting victory. We will not find lasting victory in confessing to God alone. We find lasting victory in overcoming with the, the strength of a brotherhood. Honestly, what is your experience? If you, have argue, if you have cause to argue with me in that subject, how is your experience? How is it going in your life? Are you finding victory with other brothers, with the help of other brothers, or are you finding it alone in Christ? And I'm not belittling you if you're finding it with Christ alone. Praise God. But that is not the experience of most of you. I know that. Can you find lasting victory alone? Does your brotherhood contribute to your victory over sin? Do their prayers help you? Bonhoeffer felt strongly that sin demands to have a man to himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated the person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. He can go to Christ alone and pray for forgiveness. And while his sins can be forgiven with true repentance, there is no lasting victory. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. But God breaks gates of brass and bars of iron. I'm just repeating this paragraph because it's so powerful. I find, I find it real. Now what does the Bible say? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is sin cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with our brothers. Do you have fellowship, brothers, with the brethren? Is there something in the way? We have hidden sin. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, 
lest thou also be tempted. It speaks about restoring a brother if he has confessed sin. Bear, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How can we bear a burden if the brother doesn't share it? Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is called a day, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. We all know this verse very well. Proverbs 28.13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. In Psalm 32.5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. That's speaking about confession to God. And sometimes that's all we need. But if it's something that's reoccurring, and, this, and I'm speaking of media in particular, most of us need help. Most of us need accountability. Luke 17, 3-4. Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times a day, and seven times in a day turn again to, he, to thee, and saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Because that's the way God forgives us. We ought to do the same. John twenty twenty three. Whoso... Who... Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Jesus speaking to the disciples. Brothers and sisters, what is the take-home disease this morning? Are you struggling with media addictions that are taking you in a rut of time-wasting and sin? Is that addiction robbing your joy in the Lord and fellowship with the saints? Are you in a hole or a rut you cannot get out of? Confess it to a brother or sister. Tell them to keep you accountable on a continued basis. If you want to be part of an accountability group, talk to Brother John, and he will add, add you to one of our groups. If you are not ready for a group, that's fine. There's no pressure there. But find a spiritual brother or sister and share with them and make, have them keep you accountable on a continued basis. I prefer you be in a group though. Fathers, cleanse your home of movies. Check the thumb drives your children have. And every week or every other week I hear a story that this girl had some, or boy, had a thumb drive with movies that their parents don't really know they have, and they sneak into other people's bedrooms and they watch them. That ought not to be in our churches. It happens to everyone. Make sure, make sure you ask questions. Check your children's media. Check their thumb drives. Take out the laptops and tablets your children have behind closed doors. Don't allow them to take these media devices inside their bedroom. If they're using them, they should be in the front rooms where everybody can see, anybody can walk in. Our children are our most treasured gifts. Don't let them be indoctrinated and desensitized with the spirit of the world. If you want to watch a movie, do it together as a family. 
Lastly, as a close-knit church family, let's accustom ourselves in a spirit of love and humility to get to know this family more intimately. If a member struggles, pray for them. Don't gossip about them. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Thank you all for listening.